Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. God is awesome. I could just stay right there all day, y'all. I really could just kind of just bask in his presence. Uh, he is often awesome. Um, I'm so grateful that I have a little commute when I go to work because I just blast music the whole time and sing and yell. And I know the car, my car neighbors alongside of me think I'm crazy. And um, <laughs> sometimes early in the morning when I'm coming home from work, you know, I'm blasting it. <laughs> Windows down and everything. So if I wake you up, blame the Lord. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Uh, we are still talking about discipleship. Discipleship 101, becoming a disciple maker. Uh, my name is Virgil Moore. I am a disciple maker and a disciple. Um, and uh, I pray you are as well or becoming one as well. Uh, and again, I encourage you to not just uh, listen to this, but listen to this word uh, so that you can take it and share it with someone else. Because uh, you listen differently when you have to perform it. <laughs> When you have to do it, when you have to take it and then regurgitate it, uh, you listen differently. So I pray that you listen differently today. Uh, God wants to use you to help others grow. That's discipleship. He wants to use you to help others grow. It's just that simple. It's, you know, it's not a lot of ingredients to it, but he wants to use you so that others can grow in him. And so we had a discipleship grid kind of like a tic-tac-toe, and we talked about that, and you're in the middle square, and you have Paul at the top, and you have Barnabas in the middle, and you have Timothy at the bottom, and last Sunday we talked about Barnabas, and we talked about um, three characteristics that Barnabas has uh, had as a disciple maker. So he was called Barnabas, which was the spirit of encouragement, which meant that he uh, didn't mind living beside others going the extra mile and living life with other people. So it was a spirit of encouragement. That was his uh, nickname. He also looked past people's faults and sins and saw them the way God saw them. And then thirdly, he was intentional about meeting with others. So he met with Paul and he met with other people, um, John Mark as well. And so he was intentional about that. So now we're going to look at, uh, I have four characteristics today that we're going to look at concerning Paul. So we started with Barnabas. And Barnabas is in the middle. So Barnabas are the people that you do life with. Your your friends, your coworkers that are Christians, that are, you know, you're sharpening one another, you're encouraging one another, uh, your fellow members here at church. um, You're living life with one another. You're praying for one another. Uh, Paul is the people, your mentor, someone who's pouring into your life. And then you, Barnabas, has someone that you're pouring into as well, which doesn't end, and that would be Timothy. And we'll talk about Timothy next Sunday. Uh, but today we're going to focus on Paul. Um, and you should have gotten, and I was, uh, I thought about Ed when I did this because I often sometimes have a lot of scriptures. And I was like, oh my God, I got a lot of scriptures today, y'all. I think it was like 10 pages. So that's going to be like at least an hour and a half long. No, it's not. Just kidding. <laughs> so to make life a little bit easier. You should have got one of these that kind of lists out the scriptures, and you can use it to take notes with. And um, I will assure you, I will not get to all of them. <laughs> so that's why you have them. So if you say, he skipped over that, I'm letting you know ahead of time. Uh, the mind can absorb no more than a seat can bear. 
and so <laughs> so I will not be before you long. Um, so therefore, I skip over some things, and you know, you get the as long as you get the the overall point, it's important. So we don't have a focus scripture today. We're just going to jump into different things. But I want to give you some background about Paul or Saul or Saul Saul. Uh, he was a Greek-speaking Jew born in Tarsus. Uh, part of uh, Tarsus was part of a Roman province uh, in Syria. Uh, Saul was born around the time, if not shortly after Jesus' birth, so they are about the same age. Uh, Saul was a tent maker by trade and thus traveled with ease because he just needed a few tools and he could make a tent and set up shop and proclaim the gospel, which he did later in life. Uh, Saul was a member of the Pharisees. He was a careful student of the Hebrew Bible. It was probably uh, Saul, since he often bragged, or I didn't say bragged, but he kind of said he was the chief of the Pharisees, which he was. Uh, he probably memorized the Hebrew Bible. He was a student of the word. So he knew the word. And also in knowing the word, <laughs> he was a persecutor of the church, the early church. Uh, on his way to Damascus, he had an encounter with Jesus that changed the course of his life forever, and also changed the course of the church. Um, and we are beneficiaries of that. We are the Gentiles that Saul went and preached to. And, and he was a recipient of God's grace, and so therefore he knew that this just wasn't for the Jew, but also for the Gentiles. And so he wanted to share that with the Romans and the rest of the world. So he went out on several missions around that area. So we're going to look at four things, four characteristics of Paul that made him a good disciple, a disciple or disciple -er. Um, So one was building strong relationships. Paul was intentional about building strong relationships. One thing that is very evident in Paul's letters is his deep care for the church. Paul was concerned about the churches that he Set, he established and those that he didn't establish. Uh, those relationships were so important that his model uh, was in First Thessalonians. We'll look there that we can see how much he cared for the church. And the model was as a parent raising a child. So First Thessalonians 2, 7 through 12, and it reads, But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes, cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. So these are just not associates. These are just not people he's associating with. But he has deep concern for the church and the people he's discipling. And this is an example that we should have. Um, Verse 9 says, For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for labor and night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly, devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So this is a, a this is an intimate relationship that Paul has, and he's establishing uh, discipleship. This is just not, again, just not associates. 
And this is the model that he's given us. This is the model that he's showing us, that these are not people that you just kind of do, do anything with and you don't think about or don't care about. But this is what we talked about earlier. Many, many, uh, we've been on discipleship for a while, but this is a heart issue. This becomes what is important in your heart. And we must download God's love for his people. Because we don't have that love naturally. We might love, we might love our family. <laughs> Some of us don't love them. <laughs> uh, and then we might love our friends. But we don't just love them the way we love them. We need to love them the way God loves them. And parking back to Barnabas and see them the way God sees them. As dear children that we affectionately care for and look after. He was gentle with them as a mother and also a father. Relationships are what help make discipleship meaningful. Not only are we teaching others how to have a relationship with God, we are teaching them what that can only we are teaching them to exemplify how we should be treating one another. So we're just not teaching the word of God, but we're also teaching them how to love one another. So many times we are lacking in the love for one another. And so Paul is modeling this relationship and this this uh, tenant as a disciple that I must show them how to love one another by my love for them as well. So that's number one, building strong relationships. The second is Paul was persistent in prayer. Prayer is an important part of any ministry, and Paul's is no different. Many of his letters express a theme of consistent prayer for the people in the direction uh, for them as well. Consistently praying for direction for them as well. And we're going to go through several verses here, but we start Ephesians 3, 14. It says, For this reason I'll bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, this is Paul, Paul praying, according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. 1 Corinthians 1, 4 says, I give thanks to God always for you because of the grace of God that is given to you in Christ Jesus. Thanking God. Uh, Ephesians 1, 16 says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Philippians 1, 3 and 4 says, I thank God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. Prayer is important. I think sometimes uh, we lack this, <laughs> so we're building a strong relationship, but then we also must be connected with prayer. And we, um, so prayer makes you intimately involved, even though you may not be in proximity, you're intimately involved with others people, other people's lives. Um, and so that's why you can rejoice when they rejoice, because you've been praying for them. And so their burden is your burden. And so that's why you can rejoice when they get healed, because you've been praying for them. And their healing lets you know that God is still a healer. And when we don't pray, then the opposite happens. We become a silo in and of ourselves. We don't see, we say, oh, I don't see what God is doing in my life. Uh, I'm missing. I don't have friends. I don't know what's going on. But you're lacking in prayer for your brothers and sisters. You're not carrying that burden with them. So that's why we can get excited when Jacques comes to America, right? 
Because we've been praying for that for months now. Months we've been praying for it. So we can get excited when we see him. And it's just not, oh, it's just someone else. Because we lack the prayer. And even though I don't know you intimately, I prayed for you. I prayed for your problems. I prayed for your healing. I prayed for your deliverance. And so when you receive it, I rejoice with you. And when there's growth, I see it in you as well because we've been praying for growth in your life. Prayer, persistent prayer. Second uh, Timothy 1.3 said, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Paul is praying, y'all. Philippians 1, 9-11 says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. He's praying again. With knowledge and all discernment that you may, prove, may approve what is excellent. So be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of, the righteous, fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He is praying for his disciples. Even when he's not there, he's sending his prayers and letting them know in his letters, I'm praying for you day and night. Even I can't be there to rejoice with you. I rejoice here because my prayers are with you. The fruits of this are visible in the persistence and strong faith of many of the churches uh, that Paul planted and that he discipled. While they still struggled in various areas, many of them were still marked and recognized by having faith that became known all over the world. So in my commentary I was reading, uh, it say Paul is so important uh, in the New Testament, only second to Jesus, right? Uh, because Paul has written half of the New Testament, first of all, so we get, a, we get a lot from Paul and we get to know him intimately from his writings. Uh, but more importantly, what he does is he goes on missions to spread the gospel. And several times, he, and, and Paul is excited about what he's doing, even in the face of suffering, he's willing to do uh, the mission to spread the gospel. And so the third thing that Paul is, is he's open about his suffering. He doesn't keep it a secret. There are many Christians today who no longer understand what it means to suffer for the faith. Um, I might be one of them. <laughs> we live in America and uh, we have this uh, freedom, which we, I definitely appreciate, but it has lulled us to be lethargic and lazy about our faith because we can come to it when we want. We can put it up and we can, we can get to it on Sunday and then put it back on Sunday evening and then do something else during the week, and then we might pick it up Sunday, Saturday night or just Sunday morning and slip on in here and get a good word, and then I'm out again. Um, we've become so, and we never mention Christ to anybody. <laughs> People are excited about getting Bibles, and we have Bibles stacked up in our house, in our basement, and we don't read them, and they're collecting dust. Uh, we can go to bookstores the size of this building, filled with Christian books. There are countries who would die for just pages of the Bible to read. So we've, we've become lethargic 
you know, we call ourselves a Christian nation, but we've lost sight of what it means to be a Christian, which is meaning to be a disciple. And I said before, the best way to change the culture is to make disciples. You can change the laws, but it will not change a man's heart. Only God can change the heart. And when we share his good news and the good news of suffering for him, (laughs) then the world will change. However, the Bible teaches over and over that suffering is to be expected when pursuing a relationship with God. Paul knew this experience well. He was stoned, beaten, thrown into prison multiple times throughout his ministry, yet remained steadfast in his faith. Paul taught this his this to his disciples so that they would be prepared for what lay ahead. So he was not secretive about, hey, this life is a struggle. They're going to beat you. <laughs> They're going to not like you. Uh, Romans 5, 1 through 5 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but also glory in hope again. No, it says tribulations, right? I wish it said hope again. Not only do we rejoice in hope, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given, who was given to us. It says glory in tribulations. How many of us are learning to do that? <laughs> glory in tribulations. Glory in tribulations. Sometimes you've got to say it to yourself over and over again so you can believe it. You know, so take root in your heart. I have the glory in tribulations. Paul was flogged by Jews five times with 39 lashes, was beaten by Roman rods three times, was pummeled with rocks, was shipwrecked three times, was adrift on the open sea for a night and a day, traveled hard year in and year out. Uh, forged rivers, fought off robbers, struggled with friends and enemies, endured risky conditions in the city, in the wilderness, enduring storms at sea, was betrayed by people he thought were dear friends, served hard labor, was often lonely, sleepless, hungry, and freezing cold. Felt the consistent weight of the responsibility for supporting, training, and encouraging all the churches and disciples that he was discipling. Sometimes he experienced deep desperation. It's outlined in 2 Corinthians 6, 3 through 13. It says, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, and hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, and purity, understanding, patience, and kindness in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love. This is good. <laughs> I'm not finished reading, but it's just something brought to my mind. How, how so easily we get bothered by simple things. You know, so er, I'm, I'm a little hot in here, and I was bothered earlier. I was like, oh, God, it's so hot. 
<laughs> so simple things can distract us. And not even just distract us, but simple things can get us mad with church individuals in general. Oh, they didn't speak to me. Or they weren't nice, so I'm not going to go to that church. Or they didn't say this, so I'm leaving. And we're so finicky. We wouldn't make it. <laughs> if, we had to do, if we had to go through what, what Paul had to go through, I don't know if we would still be saved. <laughs> we say we hope we would be, right? But I wonder. I mean, we are finicky Christians. You know, we're so easily bothered. So easily turned off. Uh, by the church and by God in general, just have lackluster attitudes. I'm talking about me, myself, maybe not y'all, just me. Uh, <laughs> and maybe what I used to be, God is working on me. Uh, verse 7, uh, in, in verse 6, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, and truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand, and in the left. Through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors. God, no, Paul is throwing it out loud, y'all. Known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our, our affection from you, but with you are with withholding yours from us as a fair exchange. I speak to my children. Open wide your hearts also as a fair as a fair exchange. I speak to you. In this room, open wide your hearts also. Amen. I'm, I'm going to go back to Second Corinthians six, three through 13. That's good stuff. But Paul was just landing out on the line. I've gone through it all. I love uh, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. <laughs> Poor yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing everything. Because if you have Christ, you have everything you need. Amen. And then four final as as we open up ourselves and let it known our suffering we're also going to use our testimony this is important Paul did not shy away from the fact that he was a murderer that sounds strange right <laughs> but he did not shy away from that fact that he was a persecutor of the very people now that he was involved in the church, the early church that he thought was illegitimate and this Jesus that he did not know. And so he did not have faith in these people believing in it or him. Now he had a encounter, a come to Jesus moment on the road to Damascus. And it changed the course of his life. Paul detailed the origins uh, born in Tarsus. In Acts 22, 3 and 5, says Paul utilized his testimony as his defense against the charge of being an apostate Jew. Because last Sunday we talked about how Barnabas stuck his neck out on the line for Paul. Because um, when Saul at that time, or Paul, came and was going to the apostles, the apostles said, 
We don't want nothing to do with this dude. This dude is a killer. <laughs> he he killed some of my friends. <laughs> he was trying to get all of us killed. No, now he wants to be a part of us. What in the world is wrong? Uh, but they re- they they did not realize the depth of God's love for the sinner. And sometimes we forget the depth of His love for those who we think are ostracized, or that we don't want to be near. Uh, sometimes we say they're too far gone, but God said, no, I died for them as well. Uh, but Acts 22, 3 through 5 says, Paul utilized his testimony as his defense against the charge of being an apostate Jew. Paul detailed his origin, born in the city of Tarsus, his nurture, bought up in Jerusalem, his education, studied under the most famous rabbi of the century, and his deeds persecuted the church. Paul provided details of his misguided religious zeal. As an official agent of the Jewish hierarchy, he sought out, persecuted, arrested, and imprisoned followers of the way. That's what they were called back then. The early Christians just called themselves followers of the way. The way was Jesus. His actions led to the death of Christians. Paul's testimony highlights that religious people can be far from God. Say that again. Paul's testimony highlights because he was religious. Like I said before, background, Paul memorized probably the Hebrew Bible. He knew it in detail. He was part of the the Sadducees, like the Pharisees, I'm sorry. (laughs) The same thing, different name. (laughs) Religious people. And they had zeal. I think. God was able to use Paul because he had conviction. Now, conviction in the wrong way, but he had conviction nonetheless. Because he talks about, the word says, you know, if you're lukewarm, he'll spew you out. God doesn't like you to be, you know, in the middle, you know, straddling the line or straddling the fence. You need to be one way or the other. He can use you if you're the wrong way. God can give you conviction for the right way. But if you're straddling the fence, then you may always straddle the fence because you think you're good this way and you're good that way. But God could use Paul because he had conviction, again, conviction in the wrong thing. That is Acts 22, 3 through 5. Acts 26, and I'm not going to read this. This is one of the ones I skipped. Acts 26, 4, to, 4 through 23. Again, details Paul's testimony. He lays it out. It's long. I'm not going to read it all. So you read it on your own. Galatians 1, 11 through 17, it says, But I... Make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. This is important. He says, for I neither received it from man, nor I taught it, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism. So he said, hey, you guys know me. You know I used to persecute the church. How I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my father. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son to me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So when Paul had that encounter, 
he he was a little bit afraid himself. <laughs> like, oh man, you know, and and the Lord led him to go to a, a a more isolated place, and he was there for at least I think a year or maybe three years, up to three years, before he went back to uh, Barnabas to try to talk to the apostles to say, hey, you know, I'm sure he had to reckon with what he had done and where he was now. And was this real? Was this Jesus encounter he had real to him? And so then he finally went back to the apostles to show himself. And again, Barnabas stuck his neck out for him. And then he began to preach in the synagogues. And even then, he was preaching in some synagogues in Arabia. And and again, in Damascus, he was preaching in some some smaller synagogues. And I think word had gotten out. And and some of them would say, aren't you the one who was persecuting the church? (laughs) Sometimes people may say, are you you the one that's saved now? (laughs) Those that may know you, maybe they knew you in college or high school or years ago. Or even last week for some of you. (laughs) But God can still change you. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 9 through 11. Again, it just Paul detailing his testimony. And so I I ask you, what is your testimony? You know, you don't have to have a degree in theology and know all the New and Old Testament or at least parts of it. That's not what, what God requires. Um, Revelations 12, 10 through 11 says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives to death. They overcame by Christ's blood. And their testimony, your testimony, our testimonies have power to overcome the enemy and draw others to Christ. Uh, Testimony means witness, evidence, testimony, reputation. Uh, The phonetic spelling in the Greek is martura, uh, martura. I'm not going to try to spell it for you, but anyway. (laughs) But this testimony gives to account, your testimony gives credence to what Christ did. So when you give your testimony, when you say, I once was this, but God saved me through his blood, throughout his grace, you're leading leading credence to what Christ did on the cross. And so somebody may not receive or hear about Christ in the story of the cross, but they may hear your testimony and be interested about Christ in the story of the cross. They may see some change in your life and say, oh, if this Christ can do this for you, maybe I need that Christ in my life. Well-known, well-known testimonies. The woman at the well, John 4, 1 through 42. This is important. I like the woman at the well because, um, like I said, she didn't have a theology degree. She didn't have a, 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 she was a Samaritan. She didn't have a background in religion. But she encountered Jesus and immediately straightway went to the city to begin testifying and telling them what she saw what she witnessed, the change in her life in the minutes that she met Jesus Christ. She went out and said, come see a man that spoke to me 
that gave me water, living water. The prodigal son, again, God's grace can reach you wherever you are. He came to himself, realizing what he was about to do, and he had hit rock bottom. He said, man, I need to go back to my father's house. Not realizing the father is waiting for you always. And I'm sure he had a testimony to say, hey, look, I was getting ready to eat some pig slop. I was at the bottom. You got to be at the bottom when you're going to do that. <laughs> so how, how deep in our sin were you or not? And others that need Christ, that need to hear your testimony so that they can say, ah, this thing is real. I need that Jesus. And I like the story of the blind man, John 9, 1 through 41. I love that story. Uh, I'm, you can turn there. I'm not going to read it all because um, I know your, your mind is not absorbing much now because we've been seated a while. <laughs> but I love that he was healed. Jesus healed him. And then the Pharisees and Sadducees began to question him about his healing. And I like the way he flipped it on them. And, and uh, he was like, what is a problem? Why do you have a problem with my healing? <laughs> In essence, that's what he said. I am here. Why do you have a problem with my healing? And so uh, they said, are you, when they begin to question him, he, he flips it on them and said, are you trying to be one of his disciples? Oh, and they got mad with him then. Oh, God. They said, no, we're not. Kick this guy out of here. This is Virgil interpretation. This is in the it's in the back of the Bible after the dark pages. <laughs> Basically, they got mad with him when he tried to call them a disciple because they were asking all these questions. And then they questioned his parents as if they were going to say something different. They said, you know, as if they were lying. They knew this guy. They knew he was blind. They knew he was a beggar. And all of a sudden, now he could see. And they refused to acknowledge the power of God because of their religious beliefs. Let's not refuse to acknowledge the power of God. Let's not refuse uh, to acknowledge what he's done in your life and share that with others so that they could be encouraged. Testimonies are personal stories that show how God has worked in our lives. and They can be powerful witnesses to others. When we share our testimonies, we can help others to see how God is at work in the world, and we can give them hope, and they too can experience God's grace and love. When someone hears our testimony, they may be more keen and willing to listen to what you have to say about Jesus. Our testimony can help break down walls and create more open and receptive environment for sharing the gospel. Now, those are my four things about Paul. Um, you probably could look at Paul and extrapolate five more different things as a disciple, things that you may want to glean. Um, those are four, and we're going to add those to the, the three last Sunday, and I can't promise you what we'll do next Sunday, <laughs> how many we'll have. But I do know that... Um, I want to continue to encourage you to disciple. Identify people to pour into your life, and you identify people that you can pour into their lives. Let's be intentional about it. 
let's not be lackadaisical. Let's not, you know, put it off anymore. He's given us opportunities this year to be disciples, to make disciples, to go out and share the good news of the gospel. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com. Contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Thank you.